but uh yeah we've been uh we've been uh just drinking some canadian whiskey and listening to phantom of the opera metal style it's been kind of weird i like the first half of that story (laughs) (laughs) but the canadian whiskey man i just don't even get it like, like what what Canadian whiskey is? Well, it's a good thing I've started recording, Charles, because we're just we're just right into it. <laughs> I don't even get what it's for. Uh, you know, I wrestled with that. Like, you remember that stage in my life where I I was like a bourbon aficionado. Aficionado is too, too strong a word. I could never be an aficionado of anything. How I how I studied bourbon. I think that's yeah. that's more accurate. Well, you know, uh, bourbon. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, infamously, our, our friend Matt Kimmon noticed that one year for Christmas, I had ordered myself a bourbon book and not ordered gifts for anyone else. And he was like, yep, ordered yourself a bourbon book. <laughs> but A little cote to cote. So, so, but I wrestled with this idea of Canadian whiskey for a while. And I think, I think the, because, you know, Crown Royal is Canadian whiskey. Yeah. So, so that's really the, the breakout hit of the Canadian whiskey scene, I think. Get that little purple bag. You can like Scrums and Canadian Mist and yeah. I mean, I think I think the theory of Canadian whiskey. There's two main things. One, whiskey is whiskey, right? It's just like it may taste different. It'd be made somewhere else, but it'll get you drunk, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just get your relax on. No problem, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And and it, and it generally has that nature that it's not like a uh, a cognac where it's like syrupy, right? Which nothing mm-hmm. against that. I'm I'm all over the brandy yeah, like and the cognac. Yeah, no problem, right? The little uh, what's yeah. uh, the Benedictine? I think is the one. There there, there was a couple of years yeah, where we always sinus problems. Yeah, there was a couple of years where Get we always it. had a, a giant bottle of Benedictine in the pantry. But um, yeah. was it Benedictine or was it B and B? No, just Benedictine, straight up the Benedictine. Really? Yeah. Ooh, wow. Have, do you like the B and B? Uh, yeah, I like B and B just fine, but like I find that B and B is, as Kim would say, that's that's the real rocket fuel right there. You just you just go with that. But mm-hmm. uh, anyways, so it's whiskey. That's mm-hmm. not that's it's it's booze. That's not syrupy. And I think the Canadian part, it's fine. I've I'm, it's fine to be nationalistic, to be prideful, and be like it's Canadian. Well, and and is now it, is it now, how many Canadians drink Canadian whiskey? I mean, it's now uh, you know. granted, granted. I think I think the Canadian is the main point that sticks in our craw, right? Like, why do you? But let's just let, let no. me put that aside. Now, no. now. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you, Gote, uh-huh. because I just, I want to like Canadian whiskey. I like to appreciate, uh-huh. you know, I like to come to a whiskey like a Scotch or a bourbon, or I don't particularly care for Tennessee whiskey that much, but or or a rye. And so I was kind of excited to try a couple of Canadian whiskeys, um, and I just didn't like any of them. Mm. And like I wanted to, I wanted to. There was nothing, you know. I wanted to say, wow, what what happens when you Distill a yeah. whiskey in the you know the in cold Canadian. northern climes, right? You're imagining bears around, like sniffing at the still. Yeah, uh, but but you, but you don't like it. No, no. Well, I think I, I think I can't I'm, even bring myself. I'm resisting the urge to go look up what makes a Canadian whiskey because that would just ruin the quality of this content. Mm-hmm. But it's been my observation over the years because I've had this is my rambly thing. Like I've I've had this quandary. I think I think the intent of a Canadian whiskey is that it's smoother. And mm-hmm. maybe a little bit sweeter than okay. than than your American whiskeys or bourbons, right? I mean, a bourbon definitely is a very distinct. Since I was once a bourbon scholar, it has a distinct um, smokiness without being Scotch, right? Like like a bourbon should have a a woody, almost mm-hmm. smoky feel to it, 
right? And and it, and it should be slightly painful to put up against your face and drink, right? That, that's right. not not like the rocket fuel or or like some scotches. But I think the Canadian whiskey is, and and I don't know a better word that's not judgmental. I think it's softer, right? All around, it's kind of a little more comforting, mm-hmm. a little more softer, just like that comfortable velvety purple bag crown royal comes in right, right? like maybe i need to try some crown royal because that's kind of the gold standard yeah. that's the yukon gold of uh canadian whiskey right and, yeah and crown royal is an interesting brand to me because um it is it's it's a it does very, come in a, a nice purple bag a sack which, it's, a it's sack. I, I find it, i find it's very fascinating because it's a it's a extremely common luxury brand that has maintained its luxury status. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like it's like forty dollars. Maybe I'm only going off of pricing, but it's like forty dollars a uh, a thing. Whereas like Chivas used to be like a premium thing, but Chivas now is just like I mean, it's not crap, but it's just not like not a big deal, right? Like as far mm-hmm. as the Scotch. Where whereas I think Crown Royal is still kind of like kind of like a luxurious sort of uh, sort of thing. I don't know. Now, so what do you think happened to Chivas? Uh, well, Chivas is a blended scotch, and I think maybe right. I don't know if this is, is it due... just fashionable. It's just not. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's I, I don't. I don't know. Are more fashionable. I don't know if this is due to uh, um, container shipping or NAFTA or something. But I think it's just easier to ship over all the uh, single malt and premium scotches over from Scotland, and so just like we have a bunch of craft beer, there's just more options in the market. And then also, right. I mean, I haven't checked in on the uh, the Dow Jones recently, but I think we have a lot more, not ag- in aggregate, otherwise Trump wouldn't have been elected, but we have a lot more disposable income in an aggregate that can be spent on things like that. And so, you know, I mean, Chivas is from the era when there was, you know, four TV channels you could watch and two types of music you could listen to. And uh, mm-hmm. it was easy for it to be in there. It was it was the, the uh, to, to complete the thought, it was the second uh, lifetime brand drink of Hunter Thompson. His first being wild turkey, mm-hmm. and, which is a which is a good drink. Yeah, yeah. Long, long time since this is the podcast where we can talk about ourselves. Long time Cote friends will will realize that my first sort of liquid liquor uh, allegiance was, was to wild, wild turkey. Tur- yeah, yeah. I, followed, I never made the connection. Followed by Chivas. Yeah, followed by Chivas. Really? And then I was like, I'm moving on. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to shotgun myself in the face, so I've got to make my own path. <laughs> Yeah, I never actually knew that you inherited those from Mr. Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Man, I but, used to drink uh, a lot of wild turkey. I remember, and I remember at one point you really did stop. And I think it was right when I was getting into wild turkey. Because I remember when you started drinking wild turkey, I was like, I was still very much a beer drinker. Yeah. Uh, and was like, I don't understand your strange, strong liquors. You're just doing that. <laughs> uh, don't you want some but, cool uh, water from the Rockies? <laughs> precisely um so so anyway so what uh, what do we have on tap today cote well i we, you know we did we did cover a lot of boozing we could we well, could talk we could we could talk more about we could, we could talk more about boozing but i suggest we delight the listeners by picking another topic i always yeah. like to see what topic you pick did i, okay. did I skype over <laughs> the list of topics i think you put it in the comment section right in the the, the chat window yeah it's it's in yeah in the comment section that's what they call it it's in it's in the skype <laughs> Skype. Con- I could text it to you. You want me to email it? I could email it to you. Uh, I have the 
quarterly returns and listenership on the uh, there. Okay, here we go. Yeah, you, you got the deck. You want me to yep, email you the okay. deck? Need the deck? Yep, here, no, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, I see. You have been identified as anonymous. I'm just going to pronounce that word, asshole. Anonymous Axlothleal. <laughs> really? Am I anonymous? I might not. Uh, I'm. I'm logged in. Well, who knows? Who knows how authentication works? Okay. Um, now you know the most current so, ones are at the oh, bottom. We, we have uh, we have something that we've done. Yeah, the most current ones at the bottom. Yeah. Okay, this, hold on. This is. Like we've, we've, let, let me do our theme. This is the time where Charles picks a theme. He's got to read <laughs> a page as the anonymous asshole. What theme will he pick? No one knows. Uh, oh gosh, Gote. So there's so many good. Uh, there's so many good. Um, Topics on here. Okay. Cote's fishing oh, for compliments. So how, about it, how about I narrow it down to two? Okay. And you pick it up. Mm-hmm. Because one of these, um, so so let's either choose from The Economist or Leon Redbone. Mm. $200. Oh, man, those are those are difficult. I know. How, how, when, would you have a hard stop today, Charles? I do. I mean, it's Friday, no, it's, so. It's Friday. I okay, got, so okay. I'm, I'm supposed to do some some prep for Monday, but you know the pressure's off. I think we've been you know we we've been podcasting mm-hmm. in the morning, which yes. is like the end of the week, Friday morning, and I'm trying to get everything done. You uh-huh. know, da 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 da. But we're eh, yeah. coming in All towards right. the. All right. So so you do you want to wrap up at four forty five or four thirty? Let's wrap up at four thirty. Okay. Okay. Let me adjust the calendar here. So I, my wife Kim loves it when I do this when I go and change the calendar, and she's like, "What are you doing?" Okay, uh, so so the Economist or Leon Redbone? Well, we talked about Leon Redbone recently, so let's talk about the Economist. We can okay. come we can come back to Leon Redbone. I think there's a lot to say about as as uh, so called Mister Belvedere, which we'll get back to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but the Economist. So, I think let me introduce this topic. Of course, we mean the magazine, not uh, not someone who. St- does whatever like, economists think, don't do. Don't they call themselves this newspaper? Yeah, they say a newspaper, which, which is that is just the tip of the iceberg of their delightfulness. <laughs> but uh, and I mean that genuinely. So I think I think I was introduced to the Economist by you, Charles, and and I'm not the way I remember it is that you would delight in reading the Economist on on the toilet, like that mm-hmm. was one of the primary things, and and it was just sort of like it's a big time investment. But it's totally worth it. Just great to read it cover to cover. And I yeah. think I think even occasionally on Father's Day or your birthday, one of the the ironic gifts is that you get to be alone and read The Economist. Mm-hmm. So so uh, you know I took that advice, and I think I've subscribed to The Economist twice in my life. Well, let's say three times, but there were two. Are periods. you are you currently subscribed? I am. I am. There's two. I, am. I probably you know I'm not subscribed right now, but I ought to be. There's, I really enjoyed it for a while. There's there's. There's well, maybe there's three time periods. Once I actually paid for a subscription. I think Kim bought it for me along with the Harvard Business Review, and uh, and I just never got around to reading it, so I canceled. I mean, it's it's a wonderful magazine. The other one is I figured out you could use airline miles to subscribe to it, and so I did that for some time, and then I did never read it. And then they have this thing called the Espresso app, which every every Monday through Saturday. They come out with like this collection of five 200-word stories plus a summing up at the end. And then you can get all your Dow Jones uh, price of a barrel of crude and uh, sort of stats at the end. 
And I've, I, I've kind of fallen off this habit, but I would read that every morning and it's great. And you only get that if you're a subscriber. Mm-hmm. Now also, mm-hmm. and th- we're going over the mechanics of this. We should get to the content. But also I found that they do, they do uh, an audio version. They have people read all the articles, which I keep, really? rem- I keep reminding myself that I just need to have that on play during the week. Like just I would listen to pay it. for it only if they read them with a British accent. They do. Okay. Well, I'm in. Oh man, they do they and how they read them with a <laughs> with a British because accent. I actually, when I read Economist articles, I actually read them in British. Yeah, like in my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, normally when I read, I kind of read in my own my own voice, but but there yeah. I've got. But but so so there there's the mechanics of it, right? And you used to be able to get uh, copies of the Economist. Well, you still can in the Admirals Club, but I sense I'm not a member, so I, I would always pick one up and never read it. But it just. It's this totem of, of niceness. And, and so let me just close out. I think, I think the operating theory I'm going to have is that I should read – I'm getting better at reading the Espresso app every day. And just like I would have NPR on the background all day long and get infuriated at those fucking call-in shows. I fucking hate call-in shows. You don't like On, on Point? Oh, my God. I'm just, I like the part where they talk with experts. But then when they have people like me calling, I'm like, I don't fucking care, right? Shut the fuck up and bring another expert on. Right. Like, like if I if I want to know what man or woman off the street thinks, I'll go to the park and try to, like, be, you know, engage with people who are there with their kids. I don't want that. Anyways, that the same way that I would have NPR on day, I should just be playing level of discourse that's above my own. Yeah. Yeah. I should I should just like uh, I should just have the economist thing playing like you only have to like a third pay attention to it and it would be worth it. But so that's the mechanics. But Charles, Mm -hmm. what why do you like the economist? Well, why do I like The Economist? Gosh, I don't know that I like The Economist. I mean, I do, Cote, but I've got a complicated relationship with it. Um, so, but let me, so, so when I first started reading it, um, so let me tell you the things that I like about it and that I don't like about it. So I really do like the, um, the, the variety of topics that they choose. Like they really are, uh, you know, they, they are supposed to be, well, the, the, the name of the, the uh, magazine is The Economist, and you'd think that it would be mostly about business, but the business is only one section. And so I always feel like the, the angle at which they're approaching any given story is an interesting one. So, you know, like if you look at kind of today's media, if you're consuming, you know, today's media, most of it is just like, Stories about some outrageous thing that Donald Trump has been doing. Um, but if you're going to read about that in The Economist, you're going to read about kind of what are the long term effect of this one particular aspect. Or it's 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 usually much more of a deep dive into to, to one particular phenomenon and then leave it up to you to kind of patch together things. Um, I like how I'm, I'm, I'm just impressed over reading it over the years, how they kind of they must have some sort of training in, in how they maintain their editorial tone. Mm. Well, like you, know, you know, just to just to interject. So I, I, I read about and listen to like commentary about the economists and they do have a very strong um, tone that they maintain. Yes, like it's and, almost like one person. Yeah, right? and, 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 and part, a group of people. And part of that is every now and then it happens, but they never have a byline on a piece, right? Because I remember right. I remember reading an interview where one of the the, the you know the, econ- the the to correct you, the newspaper has been around for a while. And one, and one of the, the shepherds of its spirit was saying in some interview of like, 
we really strive to have exactly what you're just saying, one voice. And that's why we don't have bylines so that you really do right. think it's like this one voice talking to you. And even when they have particular uh, columnists, they're, they always write under a nom de plume. Yeah. Like yeah. And, and, you know, Schumpeter or. Yeah. And, and as a side note, Lexington. every every time I find out who one of the people who writes for The Economist, like this guy. Um, anyways, you, every now and then you find out oftentimes when they write a book and it says they're, they're like the editor. I'm, I'm always a little like it's it's always a little disappointing. I'm like, I don't I don't want to know who's behind the curtain right now. Yeah. Now, whenever I read that section, I know who's writing it and it kind of ruins the mystique of it. Yeah, it was very interesting because I always imagined that being um, uh, um, uh, well, this part is not disappointing. It's just kind of interesting how of of what what happens when you develop this one tone. I'd kind of uh, assumed this like, I don't know, like English professor in a tweed suit uh, with a bow tie. Um, And then you come to find out like, well, it, they're actually like I, I think it was at the Economist where like you know basically half of the staff are women, for example. Mm. Um, like they actually have a pretty pretty hard like fifty fifty cut um, uh, in terms of the the writers who are actually contributing. And so I was like, whoa, I need to like totally readjust my image of this person. Yeah, um, that, that, that's like voice. you know I I didn't I didn't draw this uh, this sort of like lateral connection, but you know I don't know if you've seen the Wonder Woman movie. But there's mm-hmm. this part where like they, you know what uh, Kim actually convinced Silva to see it. Oh yeah. So yeah. I think we're gonna see it's, it in the future. Good. There, there's this it's great good. scene where where like there's a big meeting of all the British people about World War One, all the generals and the prime minister, and Wonder Woman walks in and they're like, "What? A woman cannot be in this room?" And it, and it's kind of like the scene in uh, in uh, oh fuck, what's the name of the movie of you know like our precious bodily fluids? It's it's like it's like the scene in Doctor Strangelove where they're like. Mm-hmm. We we can't have him in the war room, like with the big board, <laughs> and then also like, please, gentlemen, no fighting in the war room. War room yeah. <laughs> but yes, no, it, it it is like every every time I find out more about the Economist, it's like it's like this ideal, like I mean, like I think they're also profitable, and like it seems like a w- really run ideal situation behind right. the scenes. Right. And so yeah, no, it 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 uh, it's really cool in that way, and it, you know I had no no idea, but they they actually have a very diverse body uh, of contributors, or you know, but they 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 speak with one voice. Um, I think the drawback there that kind of started to get to my nerves is the way they just seem to foist commentary as fact or just self evident. You know, they just say things mm. that are, you know. I don't know. It, it feels like they're they're constantly putting assertions forward that are, you know, from their perspective, seem self-evident where it's like, well, you kind of might want to justify that. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. you might want to understand that not everybody feels that way. And but they're so it comes off as a little bit high minded. Um, and, you know, I guess it contributes to that one voice and that mystique. Like, you know, that one voice is definitely someone who knows what they're about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, that is a, uh, yeah, that that is an interesting aspect. I mean, that gets back to like the uh, what you're talking about earlier, like what their what their their slant or their mm-hmm. their angle, or that's what that's what us Americans would say is like, what's your angle, buddy? I guess I guess right. back in mm-hmm. World War II era, and and it is like, yeah. So first, like that point, it is every now and then something pops up, and you're like, well, well, as this newspaper has long argued. 
we believe that governments should regulate less or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're always like, whoa, hey, buddy. So, but, but, and, and it, but it is so, – so that is annoying sometimes. And it's almost as if like this is a pre-hypertext uh, notion where it's like, well, because you have been reading the last 15 years of this publication – Surely you know that time that we made the case that regulation should be lessened, right? Whereas like like in a hypertext error, like you would have a link and you would click on it and be like, oh, right. I right. mean, whether you agree with right. it or not, it's just like like this is a right. huge part of – this annoys people who are my editors a lot. But like a huge part of how I write is like I'm just going to make this offhanded comment and link to it because I don't have time to explain what I'm talking about. So follow the link. Welcome to the web, right? Right, right. And, and you feel like th- there's this presupposition, yeah. Um, that and and there, yeah, they don't they don't provide but, any of those links, and but, it comes off. But this gets this gets to a point that I think is is a broader point, in like what you're I feel in- like often too. Wait, but, but yeah, I feel yeah. like often too, Cote, they don't even say like as we've argued before. Yes, it's just there is an assumption that Western liberal democratic values with open markets and free trade and low taxes is just. We hold these truths to be self. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, and, and, and I think I think is maybe an example that like I I wouldn't and like anytime re- there's someone who has some policy that like contradicts that or something they were like kind of well duh this isn't going to work <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I I, so, I I think as an example as an example that I wouldn't disagree with I think I think when I was reading some of the coverage of you know like immigration stuff in the EU they would just offhandedly be like. They don't write like this, but it's like, well, obviously, we all agree that immigration is a net positive force. Moving on, right? And and <laughs> right. and and again, like I I totally agree with that, and I don't disagree with it. But it's an example of sort of like, can you at least throw a link in here, right? <laughs> right? right like, exactly. or or use one of your super awesome charts to like, you know, like they need to back something up. So, but so then the other point I wanted to get to is like. Uh, I think I think one of the things that's both delightful and confusing, and maybe this is why it's delightful, is that they have a very um, what's what's a word for un-American that doesn't mean bad, but they have a very, and it's not British, but like their slant on the world, their combination of economic and cultural values doesn't really occur naturally in America, <laughs> right? There <laughs> there there are no liberal Republicans. Right. Like, they, they, like, and maybe there's moderates. They're and very, stuff. they're, they're just like, are you saying they're center right to, to I, I, I guess so. Like, like, for example, for example, their position, like I imagine is basically like we are pro immigration and pro low tax. And in America, it's just like, I don't, were you speaking English? I'm not sure that was, did you just have a stroke? I don't understand what you just right. said. Right. right. Like, and, and so like it's this combination of, and they're also not like libertarian, right? Which is the only part no. where you kind of see this, right? So they have this, I, I, I want to say, well-thought-out, hyper-rational way of approaching things that is extremely liberal culturally, right? Like, um, But is also very much like, yeah, dick face, I don't think the world works like that. Like a very smug, liberal attitude about things, right? Like... <laughs> Well, perhaps we should not base our economic policy on the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 like that that kind of for whatever reason, like in in the U.S., you don't have you don't have like Bush era sensibility. I don't know why I just said that, but you don't you don't have sort of like like conservative economic people who are mixed with people who are totally fine with abortion. 
and who are kind of and also like the economists. Right. The economists would probably be like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you don't regulate gun use, a lot of people are going to die. Right. Like I, that's probably their case. And yet they'll argue that, like, also, we shouldn't tax corporations so much. And so like so that 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 sort of weird mixture that they have is like really interesting and you see it poke through in all of their coverage like that world Well the thing is you in America you get this 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 there's this people feel like they're you know that those two political ideas are somehow alloyed into one thing when in fact they're exactly. completely totally uh orthogonal to each other yeah and 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 so as a consequence you when you read through the coverage that the economist does right and and then you know as, as a as a little pin like the global nature of their coverage is also interesting but when you read through the coverage of what they do like it's often from this entirely different perspective that you would never encounter in your normal american life right and mm-hmm. you know and, and i think th- that's ultimately that's healthy yeah yeah and that's probably also why they're profitable in a very healthy business wise i mean you know, just to go over some basic business theory, one of the easiest way, it shouldn't say easiest, but one of the most common ways to profit is to have a unique product you can get nowhere else. <laughs> right. So like having that very unique voice and way of covering things that The Economist does, I think, is a huge part of why they're successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, I guess the other thing, but I do have to say one of the reasons that I do like them is I feel like uh, I align with their take on the world. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good reporting. I guess it's factual. They do editorial, like there's they they editorialize even when they're not explicitly editorializing, but I can kind of agree with what they're saying. So I guess that's why it appeals to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see how people would be annoyed with it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I would have to like sit down for a few weeks and see like, uh, how strongly I would say, like I'm aligned with them. I mean, but on on the face of it, I always, I you know, I would be comfortable with the notion of like by default we should probably have the economist position on everything, right? Like we may want to debate and change it, right, and and morph things around as as things come up. But let's just go with that with the, the default position, right? Because it's pretty much always going to be okay. Now, again, I'm sure from various perspectives of, of the, uh, the, uh, the cornucopia basket to be a little redundant of all the humans and viewpoints and stuff. Like any week you could find something where it was like, these people just told me to go fuck themselves. So by trans, was it, is it transitivity? If A equals B, then B equals C. So then by the transitive law, you can go fuck yourself too. Kote. Yeah. But yeah, you know, whatever, uh, they, so maybe they, here's, they tend to be well reasoned out and yeah, um, you know what I think it is. I and mean, maybe this is what it is. I feel like, they are conservative, but not ossified. What do you mean by sen- ossified there? Ossified means, so conservatism means to me, I think in the classical sense, like, right, you know, again, this is not in the American sense where conservatism maps to a very distinct set of policies, many of which are repugnant, but conservatism in, you know, more the classical sense of, having a respect for that which came before mm. uh, and not necessarily throwing it out the window. Um, you know, uh, um, yeah, I mean, just I mean, because, may, just, maybe just because so like, you know, yeah. um, I would say I would, I would compare like our current reactionary conservatives to maybe like Luddites uh, yes. in the past, right. Where like 
there, even though the Luddites were very much aligned with like farmers and, you know, laborers uh, and what have you, I guess, was it laborers? Anyway, um, you know, they were reacting, they were having this radical reaction to like change. Um, but I think there, it's possible to have, be thoughtful and not just say like, we're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but we are, we realize that the world is changing and that there are concepts that need to be integrated and things that need to be dealt with and need to be incorporated into our worldview yeah. so that we can do it. And so, you know, what I see is when conservatism is at its best, it's when it's a thoughtful procession through history yes. uh, versus like, you know, you look at, um, you know, something like Stalinism, which is just a radical departure into the modern uh, without any thought <laughs> uh, of, of what that might entail. And, <clears throat> and uh, you know, so that, that, that's kind of the example of why this classical conservatism might be valuable. Um, but, you know, conservatism in America doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's interesting. related to that. But I feel like yeah. the economist is very much in that where it's, you know, they, they have a very distinct worldview that's based on these values that have been kind of developing over hundreds of years and they pay homage to that and they consider that in their worldview. But they're also very engaged with the world and the changes that are happening and the things that are going on as, you know, stuff happens all over the world as, as the situation changes, you know, not just in the West, but in China and Africa and, and kind of realizing that our worldview needs to update as all these different things change. And I think they strike a good balance there. And that's what I say when I'm, I find myself often aligned yeah. with them. No, that makes sense. I, I mean, to, to, to briefly rephrase a lot of that in, in my own thinking is like, uh, I think in the U.S., the word conservative, at a very – to abstract it way up. I mean, I think reactionary conservative is very accurate. But like I would think of conservatives in American as immutable. It's immutable conservatism. It's like everything has been figured out. We do not need to advance, right? Like we got everything figured out and the problems we have are all based on when you go back and you try to rewrite things and introduce new ways of operating, right? Like – and – Whatever. And, and, you know, a part of that, it can be reactionary. I mean, that is kind of reactionary that like, we need to go back to the old ways of doing things. And like, everything was figured out, you're trying these newfangled things, and, and, and they, uh, mm -hmm. they change. Whereas, I guess if you had, and then, and then on the opposite side of that, you know, this is what we grew up with, we were, we were part of this revolution in the culture that was basically like, uh, let's throw out all of Western intellectualism, because it's inherently corrupt, because they hated women and people who weren't white, which is not false that second statement <laughs> but it's sort of it's sort of like and therefore uh, to use an old internet meme you know i have bird hair and therefore your argument is invalid right it's just, <laughs> it's just sort of like this this ad hominem it's it's beyond ad hominem but this structural thing uh invalidates all of the thinking and so it's kind of like so all that bullshit thomas jefferson and benjamin franklin came up with is bullshit because they were horrible people by today's standards which again I'm not disagreeing with at all, <laughs> right? right? Like, but what that, you're saying is the what is it? The exception doesn't disprove the rule, or or it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't it doesn't create a turd in the punch bowl situation where you're like fucked punch, right? Like now I'm not going right. to drink this. Let's it's, remove the turd. But anyway, but but the point the point is that like these things produced are like people are not always like limited by the people who did them, right? Like, and so. Mm -hmm. That would, again, I'm being very comical here, but that's the other extreme is that – and therefore, that's why we don't ever look at the past and we assume that we're only forward-looking and stuff. Whereas, like, you know, 
you really want to mix these things together. It's like, well, I, I'm, we've kind of figured out that like these are things that are working, and so we want a default position, but we want to evolve the thinking. And as new things come to light, then we'll change things, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's but it's not that we're just going to assume that all of these old notions we have are uh, are terrible. I don't know. Right. Right. It's like legacy software, Kote. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the rewrite, you know, it's I, I guess they take the stance. It's like you you upgrade your systems and you bridge you bridge them, uh, but you have high availability at all times mm. um, as opposed to rewriting from scratch. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so, so then the other thing is interesting about The Economist, of course, is that they cover the whole world which uh-huh. is often always like you don't get a lot of that nowadays, <laughs> right? In, in at yeah, least yeah. in American news, right? Like every now and then on like NPR and in Twitter, and I don't really pay attention to Facebook anymore. <laughs> and like the New York Times, like some international thing will come up, but they'll just be like, so there's an election in Malaysia. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> like- <laughs> It's like or that, or uh, or even Simpsons, uh, episode where he uh, but where Homer like uh, I can't remember he got bumped up to first class or something and he was reading the Economist uh, in the thing and he pulled it out and on the front page it said Myanmar's gambit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say like even worse. Like what's another obscure country? There'll be there'll be like a lengthy article about like you know Bhutan. about Bhutan's central banking policy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, but that's awesome. But yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 I, and I think this is this is a tactic because ultimately the biggest problem with the Economist is it's really hard to read all of it. Or let me rephrase that to be very specific: it's very hard to feel like I have done a good job reading it. You know what I mean? Like like I feel like I need to read this thing cover to cover and like slowly read it so, so that I'm actually comprehending it. But one of the tactics I've I've kind of come to realize is like. I I don't need to read about, you know, Togo's new uh, profit stance on uh, VAT taxing, right? Like I, their their policy on, on, on how to tax uh, French automobiles. Like I can just skip over that. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Or like <laughs> like uh, micro lending services in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, and 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 also as as in, I mean, as with anything, like if you yourself fancy yourself an expert on a topic, like tech, generally whenever they cover tech, it's just kind of, I'm kind of like, oh, this is not really that great, <laughs> right? But, you know, but but that's fine. Even even their tech coverage takes their sort of like. Uh, uh, pragmatic view of things, right? Where they'll be like, I mean, I guess machine learning is a thing. Here's people talking about it, but like, here's, it's not really used that much. So here's a chart, <laughs> right? Like yeah. they're, they're, yeah. Ge- they're generally, I, I, I guess, it, which is to say like in, in, in the tech world and the, and then I would expect that it's like this in other areas, right? They, they're, they're pretty shallow about their coverage, but they still are kind of like, uh, l- lowercase, or maybe it's uppercase. They're still kind of s- pragmatically skeptical about it, right? But they don't really like dive into it too much. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it is also, but it, it, and there is like a, there's a whole aspect of it. Like if you get that, you read enough, uh, you know, articles about India, and you just learn, you know, basic kind of political facts, geopolitical facts. Uh, you know, um, like I remember there was a period where I read a lot about like Prachanda. You remember the the, the Maoist leader of uh, Nepal? Mm. And like, you know, it's like for, they were really, really fascinated by him and all the stuff that was going on. Um, 
in Nepal. And so you get a little bit of like the narrative and the story of all this stuff going around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I guess that, that's an aspect I hadn't thought about is they do. Yeah. They do, they they do, do tend to have an ongoing story about things. Which yeah. Is and you know, like you read enough of it, you know, who basically is leading every country or most like most of the big countries, uh, you know, um, and, and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's nice to have at least some cursory idea of, who the players are and, and, and how they're fitting together. Um, and I tell you this, Cote, this is actually a good point because I think it's through reading The Economist, I think that I realized just how little of a f- fuck of an idea I have of what's going on in the world. <laughs> right, no, seriously, right, right, seriously. Right. Like, I, I think it's I, I kind of just anytime I see one of my compatriots, you know, on the right or the left, like trying to talk about, you know, global politics or whatever, I'm just like, man, you just gotta have a PhD in that shit to like even catch my ear anymore. Yeah. Like I, I literally don't want to hear I, I don't know. I it it uh I don't even understand American politics and people be commenting on the Middle East and shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I I think you have to you have to pay a lot of attention to one particular area to really, really, really like get under its skin more attention than, than uh, you you get just from listening to NPR in the morning or reading The Economist or uh, doing any number of these things. And like you listen to the experts. And like I said, especially with The Economist, where you're seeing such a global picture, you realize, wow, they're because those stories are so deep and they really are, you know, they, there's usually, uh, some sort of, they, they like to mix the, the micro and the macro. I think the wall street journal journal does this a lot too, where they talk, they interview a particular person and use it as an example of some macroscopic thing or some phenomenon that they're talking about. So they'll, you know, um, you know, inter- interview to use that, that example, someone both participating in the micro lending services and also starting up the micro lending services and then talk about the phenomenon, uh, and the macroscopic effects of micro lending services. And you realize, wow, Oh, this is a complicated problem. Maybe yeah, I should yeah. keep my mouth shut. Yeah. No, no, that, no that never does. Yeah. Um, no, no, that is a good side effect. And it's, it's worth figuring out like before we wrap up, like, like there, there, there is a helpful way of of the of explaining the position of like shit is complicated so you should shut up <laughs> right which which is not what you're saying right but it's easy to perceive it that way which is which is like be a little approach the problem with a little humility yeah like, yeah yeah exactly exactly people people are so eager to spout off at the mouth about things that they honestly have no idea about. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, the, it's, it's the, uh, it's the, you don't want to be the, you know, here, hold my beer person, right? That it's just sort of like, things are complicated and it's probably a good idea to try and understand to get some context before you go out and like solve problems, right? And I think to some extent, like that feeds back into your, your comment about like the weird type of conservative they are is like, hey, there's a bunch of history here, right? Like, and there's all these other yeah. people with different let's viewpoints. Understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let's figure out like what's going on here, informed by like what's happened in the past, but also driven by what we would like to happen in the future, right? And then also driven by here's the constraints we're dealing with, the things that can and cannot happen, and and like you know, so therefore this, 
<laughs> right? And yeah. and then and then also like thinking about it. I mean, they don't off, always have a therefore this. Sometimes they're just like, yep, shit's fucked, right? Like <laughs> there's not always like a pat easy answer, but it's more of like they they do they do a pretty good job of either we were complaining about this initially of either making you trust that they would have work to show if they wanted to show it or showing you their work. Yeah. That, that they they always out. end on a zinger. Uh, definitely that's true. Oh, yeah. That's, well, that's always good too. nice. Yeah. yeah. That, that's that's definitely something unique about their voice is uh yeah. Yeah. And they're also funny. They're they're funny in that uh they have that that kind of Jeeves way of being funny which mm-hmm. which uh is is delightful. Yeah. They are funny. I remember my favorite one was when they were talking about what was it they were talking about um the what was it they were talking about the um black middle class moving out um of compton and the the title was like straight out of compton yeah yeah and, and i was and, like okay they, you know they didn't make it a, a, a like an explicit reference to nwa but you know yeah. it was like kind of cool to, you know to understand that uh that was something that that was like a little um you know a little cultural thing that they were aware of yeah and then of course man I, I'm I, I'm gonna ruin this joke, but what's what's the name of the uh, the famous hill in Greece that you know they had that cover when Greece was uh, was defaulting? Oh yeah, that was that was Acropolis the best now. Acropolis. Oh. Now that was <laughs> that was they the had, best like, one ever. Camouflage and like napalm like exploding out of the Parthenon. Yep, oh, was, so good. That was, that was a moment of brilliance. Acropolis. Yeah, no, they've now. got. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Well, on that note, this has been another uh, drunken, retired, interloping podcast in the Cote Show Variety Podcast. We do these every few weeks when we have the time. If you want to subscribe to it or check out the show notes and other things, we'll put a picture of Acropolis now in there. You go to Cote.show. That's the kind of world we live in. You get a TLD of .show. You go to Cote.show and you can subscribe, leave a comment, find other episodes and all sorts of other stuff we talk about. And, uh, you know... You should you should say hello to us on Twitter, tell your friends about it, all that stuff. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.